we can go ahead and open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 5, and we, we're just going to continue to hang out in chapter 5, but this morning we're going to just look at one verse, at verse 24. And so we're going to meditate on this one verse, and allow me to begin by reading it. It says there in Genesis 5, verse 24, Enoch walked with God, then he was not there because God took him. We have the whole year in front of us, don't we? And the one thing that we learned from 2020 is that we must be very careful about planning what exactly will become of us in 2021, right? I mean, I'm sure we had all sorts of plans going into uh, 2021 and, and, you know, we get getting ready in March comes around, or even in 2020, March came around last year in 2020, and we're all ready to go, and then it's like everything got shut down. And so all those beautiful summer vacations that you were going to go on to Tahiti and the Bahamas or something you weren't able to take, I don't know. Uh, but we are warned, actually, about making plans and, and saying we're going to go here and do this and we're going to live this long and we're going to, right? In James chapter 4, verse 14 says that our plans, our lives are like a vapor, kind of in reference to what we talked about last week, that, that we're here for a little while and then we vanish. So instead of making plans, what James tells us, he says that we should, uh, we should say, not we will do this or do that in 2021, but what we should say instead is that if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And we want to live and do in 2021 according to God's awesome plan. We want to live in 2021 embracing, as we talked about last week, who he created us to be. We want to live running after him and enjoying his blessing, celebrating his gospel and proclaiming his reign. <laughs> what a privilege it is that we get invited into this. But we can only do that Right? If we embrace our responsibility to walk with God, we can't know, we can't uh, know his will, we can't know his purpose, his plan, unless we are earnestly walking hand in hand with God. And I think that is the picture painted for us here in Genesis 5, verse 24, where it says very clearly, Enoch walked with God. So last week, we reflected on the shortness and the brevity of life, and we do so a little more this morning, realizing that 2020 is now dead to us, isn't it? 2020 is a memory in the past. It's a part of history. It's a year we can't have back. And what we see in that, that what life is short, man, it goes so very fast. And we talked a good deal about that, uh, almost to the point that it was a little depressing for some, right? <laughs> but not when we learn to put our eyes on Christ. In fact, as we look at Enoch's life, Enoch's life was short. And you might say, what do you mean? I know how to study my Bible, and you're taking that out of context. That's what can happen when you only just grab one verse. Well, we've been in here a while, so let's look. Why do you say that? Well, you might say that because you read on there and you say, well, look back at verse 23, and it says that Enoch lived 365 years. So what do you mean to tell me, pastor, that Enoch's life was short? 
Well, how about we look at it like this? We take the average lifespan of all the individuals mentioned there in that genealogy, and then we compare it to today, and we could say that God took Enoch at the prime of his life, and 20 years, 28 years old by comparison to today's standards. It's important that we understand, the point in that is that Enoch wasn't just some old man at the end of his life that God decided to bring home in a special way because he was barely getting along anymore, right? And I think, I don't know, I mean, be honest with yourself, kind of give me a head nod if you would, but when you think of that story about Enoch, did you kind of think that? I think I thought that, but, but no, as you press in here a little bit of the text, you see that this guy was in the prime of his life. That's something, isn't it? It says, actually, in verse 22, it says that he walked with God for 300 years. He gave God his best years. From the time he was a young boy, I would say, to the time he was a young, young man. He never made it to be an old man, actually. Not when the average lifespan in this genealogical account is 900 years. Right? Enoch walked with God. We cannot be who we were created to be unless we walk with God. We cannot experience the joy of life unless we walk with God. We cannot know God's will for our lives unless we walk with God. We cannot know the great joy when we experience trials of various kinds unless we walk with God. We cannot know confidence in the face of death unless we walk with God. We cannot know unity among one another right here in this church unless we walk with God. We cannot overcome the fear of man unless we walk with God. You may be getting a sense of my point. Uh, we could keep going on and on here, right? We cannot do anything we are supposed to do. We cannot do anything that we were created to do unless we are walking with God. Enoch faced so many of the I can'ts that we face, but he walked with the God who can. So let's examine some of the implication of Enoch's walks with God. First, we see, and if you're taking notes, you can use the back of your bulletin there. But as we look and meditate on this verse here in verse 24, we see some of the implications. First, walking with God implies agreement with God. Notice of the men in the, other in the other generations, the 10 generations listed here, it says that they lived, right? It says, if you read, just select something out there, it says, uh, Seth lived 807 years, uh, Enosh lived 815 years, Kedon lived 840 years. They lived, they lived, they lived. But it doesn't say that about Enoch. Enoch did not live. It says he walked with God. I think that's interesting. And the other men in chapter 5 are said to have died. But Enoch did not die. It says instead that he walked with God and God took him. There are phrases in the Old Testament like walking before God or walking after God, which is to describe a life of moral purity or someone who's living a blameless life. But the phrase walked with God is different. Okay? 
and it's only used of Enoch and Noah. It is a reference to the intimate relationship that these men had with God. It's a beautiful imagery here. Enoch was in such agreement with God that it could be said that he walked with God. But how is it that Enoch, who inherited sin, the sin of his father Adam, and was a product of sinful humanity, and how is it that Enoch, who himself was a sinner, how is it that he walked with God? How, how is it that he walked with God in such an agreeable way so as not to cause a problem, <laughs> right? How is it that there was so much unity between the two? You see, we are not able, and we know this, we are taught so in the New Testament that we are not able to walk with, and the old, we are not able to walk with God, right, because we are full of enmity. We are, that is enmity, that enmity, that means hostility or hatred toward God. And we need to be reconciled to God, right? Right? So how is it then that Enoch was able to walk in friendly fellowship with God? Well, Hebrews 11 verse 5 gives us some insight here as it states that Enoch was a man of faith. And God tells us in Hebrews that it says there, you can turn if you want, but I'll tell you what it says. It says there that by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not experience death, it goes on and says he was not found. It's as if people looked around and said, hey, where did Enoch go? And Hebrews 11.5 says he wasn't found. Why? Well, because God took him away. Isn't that something? For before he was taken away, Hebrews 11.5 says, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now, all humans, that's everyone in here and everyone out there, all of us are made to walk in agreement with God. That is our responsibility. But in sin, we all go against God. We don't want to please God. And what we learn in Hebrews 11, verse 6, is that without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists. Well, Enoch clearly believed that God existed and had a desire to please God. What we see in that, right, what we see as we look at Hebrews 11, 5 and 6, as we look at Enoch's life, what we see is that it's not about good behavior. Yeah, Because we cannot say of Enoch that he was without sin. Right? That is not why God took him. That is another mistake that we sometimes make, I think, as we think of Enoch. Well, oh my, he must have been without sin. And that maybe he's a type of Christ. No, 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 no. That is not true. That is not why God took him. Enoch was a man. Here's why. Enoch was a man who sought hard after God. He wanted God. He wanted to please God more than anything else. When he looked around at his life, at his family, at his world, and all that he had accumulated in his 300 years, what he continued to believe over 365 years that all I want is God. All I want is to serve God. All I want is to build a legacy for the name of God. I just want God. I desire to please God. How can I please God? He woke up every morning asking that question. And God rewarded him, just like it says he will in Hebrews 11.6, where it says God rewards those who seek him. Are you seeking God? All over the Bible, Old Testament especially, talks about seeking the face 
of God. Enoch was one of those men who sought after God. Today, if you seek God, you have the benefit of finding Christ. That was not the case for Enoch. Enoch, he believed in the promises that he did not know. He believed in the promises that he could not see, and that was credited to his account, and so God took him. But since that time, we know that God has fulfilled his promises in Christ that allows you and I and others out there to be reconciled to God. God has made very clear that to have agreement with him, we must believe in the Son whom he has sent. Right? If we are seeking God, we will find Christ. This is the will of God the Father who sent Jesus, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And those of us who see the Son and believes in him, right, given eternal life, and it promises us that God will raise us up on the last day. But then over in John 3, we read, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. You see, right there, we see in Christ that, that we have to have agreement with God in order to walk with God. In fact, walking God, that's what it is. It's having agreement. And we have access to this walk only by putting our faith in Christ. And in that, like Enoch, well, actually, we could say... Uh, with more clarity and understanding than Enoch had, right? Because of the revelation of Christ, we can walk with God in familiar friendship. That is our next point there. We must have agreement with God and get right with God, and Christ provides us a way to get right with Him, right? We also, walking with God implies familiar friendship. And by familiar, uh, I don't mean like, like common. You know, how you know a neighbor that you don't talk to. You know what I'm saying? Surely none of you have neighbors like that. But maybe somebody you know does. Right? So by familiar, I don't mean common, do we? We mean intimate knowledge, intimate friendship. The imagery of this phrase, walk with God calls to mind a man walking at the side of God. It brings to mind the occasion, actually, when I was in Uganda and I met a friend there who was from Uganda, and we became close. In the short time that I was there, maybe just over a month, and we became close rather quickly. He shared much with me, I shared much with him, and of course we had the common... Uh, identity in Christ that drew us close and drew us close quick. And as we are walking together through town and talking about life and ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout this small village, well, he began to feel close to me and he felt that intimate connection that we were building in Christ. And out of nowhere, he reached and grabbed hold of my hand. And there we are, two grown men in their 20s hand in hand, walking side by side through this town. And culturally, I was warned of this possibility. They told me, be careful, if you get real close with somebody, here's what could happen. And even though I was warned, it was certainly initially awkward. But as I think of it now, this ought to be us with God. 
This ought to be a common image of our fellowship with God. Walking hand in hand because we are truly friends. We are familiar enough to know, right, we can go on a walk with Him and hold His hand and He will hold ours. And this high company (laughs) that we get to have is our privilege. It's not an embarrassment. No, not at all. Be glad to be seen (laughs) walking with God and holding His hand. You see where I'm going? And in that moment, I was a little shaken by that because we don't do that in our culture. That means something else. Okay. But as I meditate on it, that man, I would not be embarrassed to have that high company of God that he might reach and want to hold my hand. Can you believe that that is the imagery? And when you're that close, when you have that kind of familiar friendship and intimacy, right, you talk to him about everything and anything. If I'm walking at his side, that means I have complete access to him. It brings to mind Hebrews 10, 19, where it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have this boldness to enter into the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus Christ, we see there, and he talks about Christ being our mediator. He brings us into intimate fellowship with God the Father. Because of Jesus, we, can too, we too get to know the blessings of walking in intimate fellowship with God. What a unique privilege. It is a serious (laughs) and celebrative and joyous and somber, and and, and it's just, it's mind-blowing privilege that we have, church. Have you ever had a close friend? If you have or do right now, you are familiar with them, aren't you? And they are familiar with you. And the result of that is that there is freedom to speak what's on your mind, right? Isn't that true? There is freedom there to share your heart with them, and of course, they share their heart with you. And because you're friends, you really pay attention when they start to talk. If you're really friends, I'm talking about a a true friend, right? And when they start to speak, man, you listen ever so intently. Why? Because you want to hear what their desires are so you can serve them, meet their needs, right? And it is a delight, a pleasure when you have the opportunity to do so, right? And in that friendship, you know their pain, you know their joy, right? With that friend, the door is always open, isn't it? You ever ever had a friend like that? Walk with God. That phrase right there, it tells us that Enoch was familiar as friends with God. Enoch drew close to God. I would say tucked himself. That's how I envision it, that he tucked himself right underneath the wing of God, so to speak. His arm. You know, you nestle up to somebody. (laughs) I see Enoch and God, maybe not walking hand in hand, but. Walking like that, shoulder to shoulder. Hmm. Who do you go to for counsel? Who do you go to when you're hurting? When confused? Who do you go to when you have exciting news to share? Who do you go to when you want to celebrate something? Hmm. You go to the best friend first, don't you? 
And this is what it is when we are walking with God. We are looking to go to Him first in all things. And I want to be clear here that this isn't some dutiful phone call we dread making. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, the, the phone calls that you're like, oh, I've got to, I've got to, it's like a, uh, you know, one of those, the manda- mandatory check-ins. You know, I, well, I've got to call her by 10 or else she'll get mad. Or I better check in with mom or I better check in with my wife or, you know, on and on. And that's not to, you know, I'm not trying to start arguments here by throwing stuff like that out there. But I, I'm just using, it's just an illustration. Okay, so. Uh, but the idea is, is that it's not dutiful. It's, it's not some dutiful phone call that you have to make that you dread making. It, it, it is not that type of relationship walking with God. It isn't some mandatory religious, if you will, check-in. Not at all. Instead, it is an urgent and intimate encounter that we look forward to having, that we can't go without. We just look forward to hang out with God. Just want to walk with Him. Do you have a familiar friendship with God like this? Jesus provides us with a friendship, a friendship that gives us complete access and privilege. Jesus treats us like friends, doesn't he? He encourages us to come to him like friends, to seek him, to receive from him, to eat and drink what he gives, to cast all our cares on him. If you have friends, and I hope you do, you know that you can count and call on them in any time, and they will do their best, right? And to think, and to think, we have a better friend in Christ, right? We, we can approach the throne of the Almighty with a boldness and a confidence that He not only will hear us, but that He wants to hear us. Does that warm your heart? I pray it does. Spirit, help that warm our hearts that he not only will, but he wants. It's not like, okay, here we go again. No, it's like, oh, I want. In fact, in fact, we, we read in the New Testament where Jesus says, ask, ask. He implores, ask, and it will be given. He calls on us. He please pray to me. Please ask. In James 4, it's important for us to go down this road just a bit. In James 4, 2, and 3, we are told that we do not have because we do not ask. Or that we ask and do not receive because we ask with the wrong motives. And, of course, when I saw that, I said, well, I, you know, I, I think to myself, um, well, how do I... Ask with the right motive so I can get what I want. <laughs> okay, well, you know, be, 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 you know, back up. That, that you're missing the point, man. <laughs> but how can we ask with the right motives? Enoch's experience, we see. If we look and evaluate Enoch's experience, and, and then we listen to James' instruction there in that chapter, they, give, they both give us the answer. Telling us that we don't have what we ask for. Why? Because we ask as those who are friends with the world. Everything we want is all wrapped up in the world and in making this place home. That was not the case with Enoch's life, was it? No. You see, if we're coming to God as if he is a a prayer-answering vending machine, 
those aren't the kind of prayers that are answered. Right? This is how those who are friends with the world pray. Right? They go out, you can live how you want, do with your life what you want, focus on getting the most out of this world, <laughs> and, and, and your focus in this life, right, is getting all that you can out of this world, to getting from this world all that it can offer. And then you call out to God when you're in a pinch, or you... you You call out to God when you can't seem to get what you're after on your own. But when we ask as a friend of God, that means that our asking is motivated out of our care and concern and desire for what God wants, right? When we are friends with God, our motivation like any friendship, is to please and serve our friend. (laughs) So you see, we don't ask like the world because our desire, our end, our hope is wrapped up in His, in His purposes. It changes our prayer life. It changes our lives. Remember, Enoch is approved, as it says there, as one who wanted to please God. And that statement right there tells us the depth and of intimacy that characterized their friendship. It gives us a glimpse of Enoch's love for God, and there is a mutuality there. Enoch, by faith, saw how good and loving God was, and he lived his life with one glorious aim, to please his God. We see clearly by the testimony of Christ how good and loving God is, don't we? What do we see in Christ? We look to Christ, we see... The one who should be served by us stooped instead to serve us. What great love when we look at Christ. What great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. (laughs) Enoch saw this love in God and it drew it to him. And as you see it this morning, I pray that it draws you in. For that is what the love of God in Christ is supposed to do. It draws us into agreement with God and friendship with God. And it transforms who and what we want to live for. It just transforms us. That's what the love of God in Christ does. In fact, we read this very thing in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 and 15 where it says for the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died and he died as saying that's saying Christ died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised the love of Christ compels us to love him, to live for him, and to no longer live for ourselves. The love of Christ compels, enables us to walk with God, to delight in God. We read elsewhere that we love because he first loved us. See, the implication of Enoch's walking with God are numerous, and we have seen that walking with God implies agreement with God, 
that walking with God implies familiar friendship. And now we are seeing, I pray, that you are seeing that to say you're walking with God, that that means you have a deep love for him. You have a deep love for him. I don't know if it's unique for men uh, or men from the United States, if it's a cultural thing or if it's just me, but I want, maybe it's our, I wonder actually how much uh, does our rugged individualism of the West that, that is maybe ingrained in us that prevents us from pursuing this kind of deep, affectionate love. <laughs> but what I noticed in my own life that as I grew older, my affection for the Lord grew colder. God used my wife in our early years of marriage to stoke the fire of my affections for the Lord. And she continues to do that through her. In seminary, I remember when she was falling in love with the Lord, I was falling in love with being right about God. When she was falling in love with the Lord, I was falling in love with being right about Scripture, about faith, about practice. And as I taught her those things, I was just falling in love with being right, and she was falling in love with God. Men, we want to fall in love with the Lord. That is the implication of walking with God, that there is a deep affection, that there is a deep intimacy there. And I just wonder, I bring it up because I just wonder if sometimes we're just afraid to say so, that, it, that it's kind of awkward to think. And maybe it goes back to that picture where it, it, it doesn't seem right for us to be taking a stroll, holding hands with God and just being on our merry way, you know. And yet, I actually believe that is the picture that we have, and that is what we call to. That here it is that God, the King, has such an affectionate love for us. My affection, my passion, you know, should not be different because I'm a man. That's what I'm trying to say. There are some ways that I think we love, we think that we could just love God with our mind, and, and that is it, and that is how we love. And maybe I'm only touching on a few people in here with that. I don't know. But Jesus says clearly in Matthew 22, uh, 37, love God, uh, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. What is, and we can ask this question, what is the greatest thing you can do and experience with your life in response to God who gave you life? What is the greatest thing that you can do and experience with your life in response to the God who gave you life? Jesus says it is this. Jesus says the greatest thing is to fall in love with God. It is the greatest. In fact, he says, and this is his words, it is the greatest and most important thing. He says commandment. And it is not emphasizing their mind over heart or heart over mind, but saying, love him with our whole purpose, person. It should be clear to us in this little statement, Enoch walked with God. It should be clear that Enoch loved his God, that he had a deep affection for God. I want to love God right. In my case, you might have another person to, as an example of that in your life that you could look to. Right? But I want to love God the way my wife loves God. Right? It's clear to me that she loves him much more than she loves me. <laughs> and that is a humbling thing sometimes and offensive, which it should be to my flesh. 
right? And you know how I know, right? I know because when I disappoint her all the time, right, she presses on. She just presses on. She doesn't hang on to my sins against her. Why? Because she is more wrapped up in her love for the Lord who never lets her down. She sins against me, especially early on. She sinned against me. I kind of mope around like a beat-up pup looking for affirmation. You know, one little sin. Oh, it sent me in a depressive way. (laughs) I'm moping around looking for her to reaffirm her love for me. But here's the point. When I'm wrapped up in the love of God, when we are wrapped up in the love of God, we are not so insecure, right? And and we will be sinned against, and sin against one another, and we can't go moping around every time somebody sins against us, right? Because we'll be moping around all the time, right? And boy, we want to be wrapped up so much in the love of God, right? That that, that is what we live for, and we are not so insecure. It is an implication, another implication of walking with God. He enables us to love for His sake, not ours. He, he enables us to love for His glory, not ours. He, he enables us to love, not dependent on how we're being loved. Man. Man, we are headed, we, we want to be a place that, and I, I don't know why I'm directing this more to the men and be both, but I, I want us to be in a place where we could say, man, that dude is head over heels in love with God. You know, he's passionate, he's excited, he is amped up about his God. <laughs> Isn't that something? Think of it this way. When you go somewhere with your bride, or I just did a wedding, so my mind is on these things. But when you go somewhere with your bride, you take her somewhere fancy, or when you think of it this way, when you first introduced her to your friends and family, what did you do? Or what do you do? Well, you, you open the door for her. You let her go first, right? And I think part of the reason that we do that is because, right, well, We are so in love, right? And we want to introduce her. We want to present her, essentially. And we are saying, hey, take a look. Isn't she wonderful? Right? And where am I going with this? Well, we should be in love like this and have this kind of affection for the Lord. This is the natural response of a person, a man or woman, who's walking with God. That as we walk with him, our love for him increases. And we look for every opportunity, as we would with our new bride, to present him and introduce him to others. You see, when I get married, I'm not leaving my bride at home when I get invited somewhere, hiding her in a closet, only to bring her out when no one's looking. Okay? No. I'm Ask, and I'm not asking for permission to bring her along, or, and I'm not asking for permission to talk about her. Now she is like the gem that I'm bringing to the party. She is the main attraction as far as I'm concerned. And here's my point, is that that's how it ought to be 
with God. <laughs> that he is the main attraction as far as we're concerned. That, that we want to be in a place that we are so pumped up and amped up and passionate and excited and in love with this new friend that we found in Christ that we will long and look for every opportunity to introduce him and to present him to others. Right? Wow. You will never you will never, I don't think it's possible, if you meet someone with a true heart for evangel evangelism, you have met someone who is in love with Jesus. Right? So for those of you who, who need, for those of us, I should say, who need to step it up in evangelism, the best way that we can do that is to start cultivating a love relationship with God. We see that this love makes us bold. Enoch, actually, Enoch's walk with God made him always ready and willing and able to speak with boldness on behalf of God. He goes, how do you know so much about Enoch, you might be asking? Well, you can turn to Jude. Do so now. Jude, there in the New Testament, just a little book. And in Jude, verse 14 and 15, we see how Enoch's... Uh, Love for God made him bold. It says that Enoch, in the seventh generation of Adam, prophesied. And here's what Enoch said. It's some bold prophecy that he's telling, telling these guys there before Noah. Look, look, Enoch says, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones. And when he comes, he's coming to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the un ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. There he is prophesying. There Enoch is as an ambassador on mission for God before Jesus gave us his mission in Matthew 28. Right? Enoch's getting an early jump. On it here in Genesis chapter 5. Isn't that something? And Enoch in there, he, he, we see that in the seventh generation from that, he speaks with confidence in a culture that is degenerating. This is not a safe place to speak on behalf of this holy God. And there Enoch is. He's battling for the holiness of God among an unholy people, telling them right there, we see it four times or more, that they're ungodly. There in one sentence, ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. And these people likely wanted to kill him, right? Like, who does this guy Enoch think he is? What on earth is he talking about, right? They were frustrated. His message was offensive to their carnal wants and desires. But because of his love for God, this, it, it, we're trying to say, well, what about us? What about now, right? But because of Enoch's love for God that did not deter him, right? His life being at stake in that moment, in this dangerous and perverted place that he was, that, that the people were degenerating. It was getting worse, as we know. Eventually, God comes with the flood. But here Enoch is before that, warning people of God's judgment. Because of his love for God, Enoch was prepared to die a martyr's death. And people say, oh, don't talk about wrath, don't talk about sin. Just talk about love and grace. But those, that call, but those that call for this are missing it. The love and grace is that he sent these people Enoch. That is the love and grace. God had love and grace 
Even then, right? As always, right? The love and grace. Love and grace for me. Love and grace is telling me honestly what my life is without God, right? You see, choosing God isn't just an additional luxury you can add to your great life. That is, that is not how we go about talking to people about God. No, if you don't have God, this is the message of the evangelist. If you don't have God, your life is not great. And don't be deceived into thinking it is. In fact, the only thing great about it is the great danger that you are in. And because Enoch walked with God, he knew this, and he told the truth. And I think it was most certainly motivated by his love for God. And the result of that is that he truly loved others, and he loved them enough, and he cared for them enough to tell them what was at stake, even at the cost to himself. And we see that God rescued him from what was becoming an ungodly and perverse generation. Wow. How we could keep going. The expression to walk with God. <laughs> We've seen, uh, as you look scripturally, it, it has become a, a common description of the life of fellowship and obedience with the Lord. One commentator states that walking with the Lord has been seen as a step above mere living. And I would go further and say uh, what we see here is that it's a thousand steps above mere living. What a privilege is, it is that God would walk with us. What a privilege it is that God would make a way for us to walk with him. What a privilege it is that God would allow us and want us to walk with him anywhere. I remember my brother uh, letting me go. He's eight years older than me. And so, man, whenever he let me go somewhere with him, I thought I was living large. Man, I thought I was like big stuff. Because my brother, of course, maybe everybody thinks about this, about their older brother, but I thought my brother was the coolest, man. And I, I, I mean, I still do. I think he was the coolest, all right? And so it was such a privilege when he would let me go and ride with him. Because you imagine, I'm eight years old and he's 16 and he you know, has this little sports car that he got, this Mazda RX-7 and, you know, only room for two and then we would go. And he had this big, that was back when it was, maybe it's still cool, I don't know. He had these big speakers in it and, you know, right around, think I was cool stuff and I can't even hear each other, we're not even talking, but he's playing his music and anyway... Man, I just thought I was big stuff. What a privilege it was that he would let me ride with him, go to the courts with him. What a privileged position I felt I had when I was near him. How big I felt. How small. How small, though, it is in comparison to the privilege of walking with God. A step, a thousand steps above mere living. <laughs> Can you believe God would allow you to walk with him? Can you believe God would want to be seen with you? Let's just sit with that for a minute. Can you believe that God would want to be seen with you? 
how quickly I could ruin God's reputation. Why would he want to, to sit with me at the dinner table? Why would he want to run with me? Why would he want to take me anywhere? Why would he want to walk hand in hand with me? Right? Right? Isn't that a good question? As we consider the, this opportunity that we have to walk with the Almighty? Are you kidding? That's a real offer? You mean I get to leave here to do that? Why? Well, because when I turn to Christ by faith and trust his forgiveness with a believing heart, he forgives me and gives me his righteousness. And as I start walking and following him, he transforms me more and more into his likeness. And in this way, I become a living letter written by him, written to reflect his glory. Like Enoch is a letter of what was possible. We look at Enoch and we can say, we can see early on, really, it is possible to walk with God. And Enoch, we see that it's possible. It can happen. God will make a way. And then we see, we have the privilege of being on the other side of Christ, on the other side of an empty tomb. That we look in the grave and how do we know? that Christ is resurrected because when we look in there we don't see him do we church no we don't see him and what is communicating to us is that now we have this opportunity God has made a way that we could walk with God and become living letters communicating the goodness of God and the glories of his gospel to others We want to live 2021 embracing who he's created us to be. We want to live running after him and enjoying his blessing and celebrating his gospel and proclaiming his reign. What a privilege it is that we would be given the opportunity to walk hand in hand with God. Quint, you can come while I pray. Heavenly Father, Help my heart, help our heart and our minds to meditate on this truth that we have been given this great privilege to get to walk with you, that you would increase our love, that you would in increase even our agreement with you, our, our, our friendship with you would, would grow, that the intimacy would grow in the coming weeks and months of 2021. That we would not be as intimate as we are right now with you in three months, but we would be more so. God, that is the way that you've provided for us. That our love for you would increase. That our love for ourselves would decrease. And God, that, <laughs> that we would be the living letters, that we would be testimonies. And people look at us and look at this church and they will see a people that truly are <laughs> in love with you and that we are not embarrassed, that, that we, we, we are happy. God, if anything, we recognize that you should be embarrassed of us, but because of Christ and the righteousness that you give us, that you're not. And there your glory shines all the more that you would call us your sons and daughters, for that is what we are. Because you have lavishly loved us. We praise your name.
We praise your name. May our lives be lived in response to what you have given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.